In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So it's a new year, and we always want to hit the ground running. That's the most important thing, right? You start a new year, you make new year's resolutions, you want to do things well, and so on and so forth. Now, I'm always drawn back to the view, the vision of an athlete. Just before an athlete is going to run a race, whether it's a sprint or it's a marathon, you see a time where there is going to be a, a, a preparation, a, a loosening up, a stretching, and then they go down on their blocks and they stop. And you can hear a pin drop. Countdown, starter's pistol, and they run. And you think, what's happening at that time? What's happening is, before you run, you've got to prepare. What's happening at that time is this athlete is drawing on all of his or her experience, training, memories, advice, counsel, everything that's gone through the mind in the period of preparation. And then, they're ready. At this juncture, in this new year, I think this is the precise, the exact time for that. We need to be down on our blocks, preparing, drawing on all the experience. Now this athlete has probably had good races and bad races, had wins and losses, and we've had the same. In our lives, this last year, we've had good times and bad times. We've won and we've lost. We've been really happy and we've been very disappointed. And, and this is the time now where we need to draw on that experience prayerfully. In the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 6, our Lord says to his disciples, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Four components. And those four components we want to draw on today. Come aside. Take time out. Don't stay in the slipstream of life. Because you know what? It's a strong current. It'll keep dragging us. If we're not careful, it drags us even where we don't want to go. Against our will. Because sometimes we just give in to it, and others, we don't have the strength to swim against it. So coming aside is very important. And then, by yourselves. It's beautiful to be part of a community. The community of humanity, the community of God, the community of your church, the community of your family. It's good to be part of a community. But there, are, 
there is a definite need for certain times where we need to be alone. So many people fear solitude because they equate solitude with loneliness. Actually, that's not true at all. Solitude is very different to loneliness. Solitude is a voluntary act where one pulls him or, her or herself aside to a place, as we see in monastic life, as we see when we actually go on retreats, to think, to pray, to contemplate, to prepare, to build up energy, to replenish energy for, for a variety of reasons. And so that coming aside by ourselves is critical for us to gather up our thoughts. It's critical for us to know where we are, to get our bearings. You know, running constantly means we often lose our bearings. If we don't have milestones, if we don't have reference points, we're just running. And after a while, I think you'll, you'll understand this, after a while, everything starts to look the same. You know, we've, it's interesting that we've had this period of Western Christmas, the New Year, and the Nativity Feast, and because of everything that's going on, you, you almost lose track of what day it is, and all the, all the days feel the same. We have no reference points. But to stop and to look around and to assess is important. Don't fear your time alone. But of course, to not fear time alone means it needs to be structured. I remember stories um, of monks going into the wilderness, um, very um, strong and enthusiastic to go out and live the life of hermits and being warned by their spiritual father saying, too early, too early. And still they go out and they're just faced by their own thoughts, by their own distractions. So that time needs to be structured. And we'll go on to look at that. The third component is to a deserted place. Again, we sometimes like the hustle and bustle of the world. It becomes addictive. It almost presents a rush. I remember speaking to someone who couldn't go to sleep without having the television on. Because not even that he would be listening or watching, but the silence of those few minutes was disturbing. There always needed to be something happening. Activity, commotion, action. And we get so accustomed to and dependent on this rush that we can't do without it. So finding that space, that deserted place, is important. And I've told you this story before. When, when I came to England, 
I'd been in the monastery in, in the desert for six years. And I went to my abbot and said, what do I do now? You know, I, I left Australia, I left my life, I came here to live in the desert, and now I'm being sent out into the world. I, I was happy to do it, I was happy to be obedient and to follow the calling. But my question was, what do I do with the lack of wilderness? And he said something really profound. This was said to me over 20 years ago, and it's as if I just heard it. He said, what's important is not that the monk is in the wilderness, but that the wilderness is in the monk. So the deserted space, the deserted place that we need, would it be very good if it was a physical space that we had. But even if we can't have that, it's a space of being where we isolate ourselves, where we take ourselves away from all that may, might distract us. And the final component is, and rest a while. We need to rest. We sometimes think we are much more superhuman than we really are. We give ourselves too much credit. Yeah, I can keep going. Yes, I can keep running. Yes, I'll be okay. But in actual fact, I'm not okay. I run out of energy. I become tired. I become weary. So our Lord's words to the disciples at this time are so incredibly pertinent and important. And this is the right time for them. This is the right time for us at the beginning of this year to take time and think. There is an instruction that I'm about to tell you which won't go down well with a lot of people. It comes from St. John Saba, one of the monastic fathers, who says, if your mouth is speechless, your heart is aflame with the fire of the Spirit. If your mouth is speechless, your heart is aflame with the fire of the Spirit. Now, you say, but hang on, what about the day of Pentecost? What about when the disciples went out and spoke? What about St. Peter converting 3,000? Yes, but there was a period of time before their speech, where they were silent, where that flame of the Spirit, the fire of the Spirit, moves from within them and is projected outward. We sometimes want to have that fire of the Spirit in everything we say, in everything we do. It needs to build up somewhere. It needs to build up, to be maintained, and then to be directed. So there is a space for silence. Again, I'm not trying to turn you all into Trappist monks and nuns, believe me, because I know you, you've got to go and you've got to work, and you know, God knows I, as a monk, have to live in this world and I have to communicate with people. I'm not taking any vows of silence anytime soon. But there are times of silence. We are, unfortunately, far too often an all or none 
um, mindset. I've either got to be completely submerged in the world, immersed in the world, drowning in the world, or I've got to pull myself away completely and live the hermetic life, which we know is not easy to do. So we do need to find that space in the middle, that comfortable space. That comfortable space that says, of course I live in the world, but I am not of the world, as our Lord said in John 17. So because I am in the world, I must interact with the world, and because I am not of the world, I must get my nourishment and my energy from the kingdom, from God, from his Holy Spirit. And so he goes on to say, in prayer, your words are in vain if your heart is silent. Right? So even when I'm reflecting, when I'm on my own, if my prayers are just words, then they're in vain. Because actually God doesn't need my words. For God, words are superfluous. Because God actually listens to my heart. He looks within me, he sees within me, he listens within me. And so what's important is not that my mouth speaks, but that my heart speaks. Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 8, verse 14. The parable of the sower. It says, now the ones that fall among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of life. That's what we've got to be careful of. And again, when we're all or none, we try to sometimes take care of everything. But if you read this carefully, the thorns do not just prevent, prevent an interaction, they choke. And so we're going to have riches and pleasures of life. That's a reality. The problem is not having those. The problem is being choked by them. The problem is having those so much that they actually overtake. And what is to choke? To choke is to take away your ability to breathe. The breath, the breath of God. And so when those riches and those pleasures take away our ability to breathe in God, then of course we suffocate. We suffocate because we're breathing in the world. And that's why those seeds end up dying. Because you can't live on the breath of this world. You must live on the breath of God. Isaiah 55, 2. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Again, it doesn't say to us, don't spend money. It doesn't say to us, go and be in a desert on your own. It says, spend. 
But spend on what is bread. Spend on what is nourishing. Spend on what is life-giving. And that is going to be your family. It's going to be your social setting. It's going to be lots of things that play into your life. Don't spend your wages on what is not satisfying. Again, satisfying to what? Satisfying to who we are, not where we are. In the world, not of the world. Satisfying to us as the sons and daughters of God who live here. But not as those who find their being, their meaning, their value, their life in being in the world and interacting with the world only. But you know what? This year needs to be different. This year needs to be special. We've all heard the words of our Lord in the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 2, where he speaks about new wine and old wineskins, new patches on old cloth. The patchwork life we live is not only dissatisfying, it is damaging. Because the new wine in an old wineskin will cause it to split, the new patch on the old cloth will cause it to tear. That's why in the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, in the resurrection, we become a completely new creation. Not a partially new creation, because a partially new creation doesn't work. We cannot serve two masters. If I go into this year thinking, yeah, I'll be a really good Christian, but actually there are some compromises I have to make. Uh, not compromises that we do have to make to live every day, but compromises to my ethics and my principles. I'm going to be a good Christian in certain things, but not such a good Christian in others. So, yes, I'll be faithful, but maybe not so much at work. I'll be honest, but maybe not so much with certain people. It can't be selective. We can't cherry-pick righteousness. We can't be selective as to parts of a virtue and not of others. A virtue is a virtue. A vice is a vice. And again, it needs discernment. Now, I know one risk we run when you're hearing this is by suddenly taking a very radical view of saying, well, I've got to not go to work, or I've got to not earn money, or I've got to not do this or not do that. And, and you know, we all have that struggle. But don't forget that what our Lord Jesus Christ wanted to show us in his incarnation is a viable model of humanity. We've just, we've just celebrated the nativity through which our Lord took flesh and came and dwelt among us and grew little by little in everything except sin and then in the fullness of time not only came but started to minister and lived his ministry and walked on the earth 
and dealt with so many people and changed their lives. This is a viable humanity. He didn't pull himself away all the time, just sometimes. He didn't reject the whole world, he rejected the sin. He didn't judge, but he was merciful. He gave everyone the benefit of the doubt, including the sinful woman caught in her sin. So, so you know what? I know you've been caught. I understand that. Look, no one's judging you anymore. I'm not judging you. Go, don't do it again. Go and sin no more. This is a new start for you. It's a very important start. So make the best of it. Sinephraim the Syrian has a beautiful quote in which he says, In a man of humility, the spirit of wisdom finds rest. In a man or woman of humility, the spirit of wisdom finds rest. So if we're seeking wisdom, if we're seeking discernment, if we want to know how to judge issues, how to call issues, how to select, how to make a decision, you need the spirit of wisdom. And that spirit of wisdom finds its place in a humble person. And it's understandable. You know, wisdom means a choice. Wisdom means you learn, you hear, you listen, you comply, you accept. Now, those are not things you would do if you weren't a humble person. Because you would always be right. You'd always have the right opinion and the right way of life. And you wouldn't need anyone's guidance. Why would you need to listen to anybody else? So remember that. In a man of humility, the spirit of wisdom finds its rest. And God knows we need wisdom. If we're putting plans together for this new year, then we need wisdom. We need discernment. And for that, we need peace, we need stability, we need reflection, we need assessment, we need humility. It would be really difficult if we wouldn't be able to discern everything always. And you know, we, we, we listen to this grappling in the Epistles of the Romans. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Does that sound familiar to anyone? All the time. All the time. You sort of think, why did I do that? You know, I just made myself a promise. I had a New Year's resolution. I made a, I, I, I made a pact. I wanted a change. And I didn't want to do this. So, why did I do it? Or... You know, I really wanted to be faithful. I really wanted 
to do what I promised, but I just can't seem to do it. And we both, and we live, we all live in both those scenarios to greater or lesser extents. Some of us all the time, some of us sometimes. And it comes from an inability to transition a thought or a desire or a will into an action. It says, I want to do this, but I can't. I don't want to do this, but I do it. And so both those desires almost have a life of their own, but they don't ever see reality. They become these wonderful aspirations to either do something or avoid something. And that's where we need to assess ourselves. Again, the athlete, that first image that we started with. Of course, he or she wants to win. But what that athlete needs to do is to have a plan, have a desire, have a vision, prepare, build up the energy, and then let it go. Growing up, I'm sure you guys grew up in a very different generation to me, so you used to have these cars that you wind up, right? And by winding it up, what you, what you do is you, you capture energy and you trap it, right? And the minute you let it go, what happens? All of that stored energy suddenly propels it forward. We need those times of building up that energy. In the deserted place, in solitude, in prayer, in reflection. To build up that energy that propels us forward. And don't, you know, don't be under any illusion that there is not going to be an op opposing force. I mean, Newton told us there is. So the more you try to be propelled forward, the more things are going to try to push against you. But when, as we read earlier, it is the Spirit of God who dwells in us, and that fire that is in us, that comes through our prayers, our retreat, our preparation, our silence, when that fire is the energy, when He is the one who propels us forward, there's nothing that can stop us. Nothing. Sin breaks down. Temptation breaks down. It's in very much the same spirit where our Lord turned to Satan and said, away with you. Get away. You know, I've given you a run. I'm bored of this now. I've tried to be patient. Go away. And that's the, that's the confidence we need to have. That God within us is infinitely more powerful than Satan who tries to control us from without. So this year, be faithful to yourselves in your silence. This year, take time 
Take time to be alone in a deserted place to think, to pray, to prepare, to build up that energy, to be a, a residing place of that fire of spirit and let him work through you so that this year becomes a time in which not only do we prepare, but in preparing, we launch forward and let him propel us with his power, his mercy, and above all, then be able to be part of his victory that is against every obstacle that gets in our way. And glory be to God for Amen.